Hi, I'm Archie McFarlane. I'm a research analyst at Tech Against Terrorism, an organisation that disrupts terrorist activity online. Welcome back to our podcast. This week, we're discussing the Great Replacement Theory, a conspiracy theory which asserts there is a deliberate and orchestrated attempt to replace the native European and North American populations with non-white immigrants. This narrative has become central to the worldview of many of the online far-right communities that we monitor. So we'd like to unpack why that is and to what extent these beliefs have entered the mainstream. The origins of the Great Replacement Theory can be traced back to the early 21st century and the European identitarian movement. Its proponents claim that through mass immigration and higher birth rates, immigrant populations will eventually come to dominate the cultural and ethnic makeup of what are currently majority white regions. The theory has become very popular among far-right groups and individuals who view immigration and demographic change as a threat to their cultural and national identity and has been used to incite racial tensions. It has also directly inspired deadly far-right terrorist attacks, underscoring the dangerous implications of such unfounded claims. Joining us today is Jacob Davey, the Head of Research and Policy for Far-Right and Hate Movements at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. His work involves mapping far-right extremism and the development of new tools for tracking hate speech globally. Jacob, thanks for joining me today. Just to recap, could you briefly tell us what the Great Replacement Theory is? The Great Replacement Theory is a conspiracy theory which has become central to white nationalist and white supremacist worldviews globally over the past 12 years. At its core, it suggests that ethnic Europeans, so-called ethnic Europeans, are at risk of replacement either through mass migration or changes in birth rates, and that this replacement itself is being orchestrated by a shadowy global elite. So why has the theory gained so much traction over the last decade, uh, moving from the fringe to the mainstream? Well, I think there are a few dynamics to um, pick here. Of course, Concern about migration is not in and of itself an extremist worldview, right? But it relates to extremist ideology. And so on the one hand, you've got a conspiracy theory which itself aligns with broader concerns which have been spread globally throughout Europe and North America around migration. And that itself provides an opportunity for extremists to capitalize on. And I think this is one of the key points. There has, of course, been concerted efforts by extremists themselves to promote this. So they're not so popular now, but the identitarian movement, who were really big five, six, seven years ago, engaged in a range of different tactics and strategies to advance this. That included publicity stunts, online social media campaigns, etc. So you've got that part of it. I think on the, the other side, though, is you've, you have had this cynical exploitation of concerns around migration by a range of political actors as well. And it's no uh, coincidence that the spread and popularity of the Great Replacement Theory 
comes in tandem to surging popularity of populist far-right parties throughout Europe, populist right talking points globally. The other dynamic is what we've really seen over the past 10, 15 years, an increased transnational connectivity between the extreme right. Now, although they're not always cohesive, what we do see is these disparate movements and individuals coalescing on core talking points, including on social media and actually particularly aided by social media. And what the Grace Placement Theory really does is it helps provide a unifying narrative which connects these disparate movements, right? The idea that the white race is under threat, that ethnic Europeans are under threat. And so it's a very, very useful narrative for extremists to, to amplify, to promote, to capitalize on those on that more mainstream amplification as well. So you briefly touched on this there, but what is the role of social media and online platforms in terms of amplifying this theory? Well, of course, social media is itself an essential tool for extremist movements, right? Beyond this narrative, it provides an opportunity for groups to coalesce, for movements to build, for extremist actors to reach new audiences and promote their ideology, right? So again, it it, it runs naturally that social media is itself absolutely core to the spread and amplification of, of of this messaging. I would say it's not necessarily a from fringe to mainstream dynamic. We still see it being spread on mainstream platforms as we do on, on fringe platforms. I think the challenge there is, is is who's promoting it. If you're talking about a white supremacist terrorist, they're more likely to be discussing replacement theory in a Telegram channel. If we're talking about a more mainstream actor, they're more likely to be using one of the more popular platforms. I think one of the challenges here, and perhaps why the theory itself flourished, particularly in the lead up to, particularly before the spate of terrorist attacks, which we saw inspired by the theory, was the fact that it brushes up against more palatable, more mainstream views, right? It doesn't uh, necessarily use language which is explicitly hateful or demonizing of individuals. And like many conspiracy theories, it can be presented in a way which seems more coded. So I really do think it slipped under the radar there. We actually, we did some analysis in 2019 around this. And, and we what we saw was leading up to the Christchurch terror attack, which was clearly inspired by this theory, this sort of slow bubbling away across uh, mainstream platforms and the sort of steady ramping up and, and growth of this of this narrative. And I think that plays back to the, the point I was making before around moderation, the fact that because this is coded language, it can slip under the radar somewhat. And to build on what you mentioned in relation to far-right extremist violence, how central has the Great Replacement narrative been in inspiring those attacks? And what have the attackers actually referenced in relation to the theory? Well, it's been hugely influential. So since 2018, there was, of course, a spate of very deadly terrorist attacks globally committed by white supremacists, which all interacted with each other. And a number of attackers very explicitly referenced the theory. So we have the 2018 attack on the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, where the gunman himself 
explicitly referenced the the idea that that Jews themselves were aiding uh, immigration as as part of a shadowy effort to oppose the so-called white race. Again, your viewers can't see the <laughs> inverted commas I'm doing with my with my my my, my fingers there, but. That sort of set off a chain reaction. So we also saw the theory uh, referenced really clearly in the attack on two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand in March 2019. In that instance, the attacker actually named his manifesto over the theory. It was, was very explicit that the theory was his reason for going after individuals who he saw as replacing people. And then again, that was that was referenced in attacks in El Paso, by attackers in Halle in Germany as well. It is worth saying that the tenets of the theory have been influential before that as well, even if attackers haven't expressly referenced replacement theory. So the 2011 attacks in Utøya in, in Norway referenced interlinked theories, right? So the attacker there was inspired by the idea of Eurabia, the idea that Europe is becoming more Muslim or more like um, Arab countries through migration. And that and that was one of the reasons which inspired him to to commit that attack as well. And I think this is the this is the other thing to say about the Great Replacement Theory is it is closely aligned with other language, other talking points, other conspiracy theories, such as the idea of white genocide, which is really popular in the in the US, such as the idea of Islamification of Europe, which is promoted by cultural nationalists in, in Europe, right? They they all play on the same grievances, the same concerns, and they're all leveraging those same grievances. What evidence are these actors using to support their claims? How is real data on immigration being manipulated to reinforce the argument that white populations are being replaced? Well, yeah, I think this is a crucial point. So we have done some analysis on on this again a few years ago, although I think it still holds true. Sometimes uh, attackers and terrorists will use falsified or cherry-picked information to uh, inspire their attacks. And And we see this more broadly in the content banks which are circulated online in extreme right-wing communities. Sometimes, though, they're they're referencing legitimate statistics. Census data and survey data is the reality that certain populations are growing in European countries as well. I think the the jump-off point there is the connection of this to a conspiracy theory, the suggestion that this is some sort of concerted, malicious effort which is designed to attack white people, that there is some sort of deliberate strategy to replace, to dilute uh, the white race, I suppose. It's also supported and amplified by just broader material, right? So not just data, propaganda content, memes, which emotionally appeal to the grievances and concerns which which the theory touches on. So when we did our analysis of Great Replacement Theory a couple of years ago now, we searched through a number of YouTube videos which promoted it. And we looked at that alongside a typology laid out by uh, extremism expert J.M. Berger. And, and what we found is 
beyond the so-called facts which it presents, often this content itself makes deeper appeals to narratives of crisis. So broader suggestions that this replacement is apocalyptic or represents an existential threat or attempts to conjure up a dystopian worldview, right? And And I think this is important. Stats often don't matter or rarely matter to extremists. They might pick on those when they're useful, but equally they're happy to doctor statistics or just entirely appeal to emotion. So you've mentioned that the ways in which this theory is presented by its proponents vary greatly, especially the extent to which they incite violence. So can you talk more specifically about who the proponents of the theory are and how they differ in their interpretations of it? Yeah, so it's diverse. As I said earlier, the the Great Replacement Theory is itself almost the connective tissue, the, the glue which provides a unified worldview which the extreme right can touch in on across the spectrum, right? And, of course, the far right represents a diverse community of different movements and different groups which aren't always unified on talking points, and those range from violent to nonviolent. So to go into this in more detail, we've, of course, and I'll say this again, uh, seen the identitarian movement there, less popular now, but a pan-European movement, youth-led movement of white nationalists who were massive proponents of Great Replacement Theory. I think that they were the central community or group really accelerating its growth and its prevalence globally. Equally, uh, then sort of around the time of the migrant crisis, six, seven, eight years ago, we saw the nascent alt-right in the US uh, start to pick this up. This included talking heads, influencers, people like Lauren Southern, who uh, actually made great efforts to connect with their European counterparts and amplify it. We then also see this being really popular amongst white supremacist movements. So I think perhaps one of the first times which people really remember this theory coming to prominence was in the Charlottesville rally in 2017 in the US. There was that refrain which a wide range of groups chanted as they marched, Jews will not replace us. And at that rally, you saw a wide range of communities joining, right? Uh, Everyone from the Klan down to NRM, etc. Finally, it's also really popular a very popular theory amongst overt white supremacists. So we've seen that with the so-called Telegram network on Telegram. So a decentralized network of white supremacists globally, violent white supremacists who reference both Great Replacement Theory and the interlinked white genocide theory. That's quite a long way of saying it spans across the spectrum of the extreme right. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it is so successful. By presenting this existential narrative that the white race is under threat, that Europeans are under threat, it offers an opportunity for groups and individuals ranging from the violent to the nonviolent to to tap into. What do you see as the main challenges for tech platforms trying to understand and moderate the Great Replacement narrative online? This comes with the caveat I don't work at a tech platform, right? I think one of the challenges around moderating against theories, 
particularly conspiracy theories is they can be presented in coded ways, right? You don't have to explicitly call for violence or engage in explicit dehumanizing hate speech to allude or to reference this hateful theory. As a result, it means that people can almost use euphemism around discussion of the theory to to amplify it. Equally, having said that, though, there is a lot of very explicit, egregious content associated with the theory, which in my mind is in clear transgression of platform terms of service. So I think it's, whilst it poses a challenge, it, it, it's not an insurmountable challenge, at least when it comes to the most uh, egregious content. I think another another part of this, though, is the fact that it does brush up against now quite mainstreamed political debate. So we're seeing people getting elected. In, in fact, I'm, we're recording this just the day after the Dutch elections, which have seen Gert Wilders and his party gain the majority of seats. Now, Wilders and the uh, Party for Freedom uh, and members of the Party for Freedom have explicitly and implicitly reference the theory in their campaigning. So again, this brings a challenge, right, around platforms themselves moderating in a time when it's becoming more and more acceptable to allude and to reference to extremist narratives and extremist talking points. And to what extent do you think mainstream actors or politicians are aware of the extreme nature of certain elements of the theory, or to what extent they're intentionally using the theory? Well, I'm not a mind reader, right? I... I... (laughs) I, I don't know uh, the extent to which all elected officials are aware of these attacks, but the most violent manifestations, the most shocking manifestations of people alluding to the Great Replacement Theory, be that in terrorist attacks or in the Charlottesville rallies, uh, are pretty prominent, right? So I think there is a there is certainly uh, an awareness there. But again, it's this challenge, right? There is a spectrum of discussion around immigration and concerns around immigration. This is something which extremists can tap into quite easily. And I think this is why the fringes have been so successful in advancing the talking this talking point to mainstream audiences. But equally, I don't think it's a one-way street. I don't think this is just a, as a result of successful extremist campaignings. I think it's pretty cynical. It recognize, it's, it's politicians recognising that this is an emotive topic, that talking about replacement does appeal to existential fears around, amongst the electorate, and it's a deliberate strategy as well. And finally, do you see the influence of the Great Replacement Theory diminishing anytime soon? Well, look, I don't see concerns around migration going anywhere. They're being leveraged globally in, in elections. I think next year it's something like two, two-thirds of the world's democracies are, are going to the, the polls. And certainly across the contexts I'm looking at, there are, particularly in Europe and North America, populist right actors who are identifying and agitating around migration as a, as a core topic for campaigning. We're also, if we look at the, the long-range direction, immigration itself, migration itself is not going to go anywhere. We still see conflicts ravaged globally, which are displacing people. And as the climate crisis ramps up, we're going to see a significant flow of individuals from the global south to the global north. And I think that's that's a concern, right? <laughs> The next 70, 100 years are going to be marked by, by large-scale 
large scale migration globally, that's always going to generate concern amongst people. And as a result, that's always going to represent an opportunity for extremists to agitate. Thank you, Jacob, for your time today. If you want to learn more about Tech Against Terrorism and our work, visit techagainstterrorism.org or follow us on Twitter at Tech versus Terrorism. I'm Archie McFarlane. This is the Tech Against Terrorism podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Please rate, leave a review and share the episode as that really helps new people find us. This is an OG podcast production. Produced by Adrian Dangor. Edit and sound design by Oli Giyu. Music by Rowan Bishop.